Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got two good martinis for you today, as well as a crazy... Uh, the regular season of the NFL has mercifully come to an end for both of us. The Bears had their best news of the year, though, uh, thanks to former coach Lovey Smith converting on 4th and 20 late in the game. The Texans actually won when the organization didn't want them to. Uh, the Bears did their job and lost, and so they get the number one pick for the first time since 1947, which I assume they will now uh, trade for a King's Ransom, or at least they should. So, uh, Jim, we get to watch other teams play in the playoffs again. Hurrah. Well, if you're interested in hiring Lovey Smith, you could have him back. <laughs> Apparently, he's among those who have been laid off this morning uh, on what is traditionally Black Monday, where, you know, on any given year, usually a good five, six, seven coaches get their walking papers on this morning. Yeah, it's not a surprise that the one game he desperately needed to lose for the sake of the franchise, they ended up winning. But hey, as your old coach Herm Edwards said, you play to win the game, and the Texans most definitely did that. Okay, on to our uh, first good martini now. And I don't know what you love to do on a Friday night. Uh, maybe it's go out and have dinner with friends. Maybe it's catch a movie or just uh, sit on the couch with your spouse and you know watch something that uh, or just talk. Um, but no, the House of Representatives was voting on Speaker again on Friday night. We heard as the evening advanced, oh, here it is, ballot 14. This is it. Kevin McCarthy's got the votes. He didn't have the votes. He thought he had the votes. Uh, he got some people to vote present who had previously opposed him, meaning their votes didn't actually count, which lowered the number of votes he needed to get, if that makes sense. But in the end, Matt Gates, uh, I don't know if he was supposed to vote yes, but he voted present, and so McCarthy was still one short. There was uh, an exchange between McCarthy and Gates on camera. And then like the WWE, Mike Rogers, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, flies in and says something to Gates, which led another congressman to put his hand over Rogers' mouth and pull him away from the confrontation. So then everybody was going to vote to adjourn on the Republican side. And then finally something happened. A bunch of Republicans said, no, we're not going to adjourn. They had one more vote. It was after midnight. McCarthy gets it done. Everybody who didn't like him uh, voted uh, present, so therefore he had enough votes to get it done. So Kevin McCarthy got to give his speech at, like, I don't know, 12.30, 1 in the morning. But in the end, it got done, and Jim... I was wrong last week. I thought the longer this went, the moderates were going to team up with the Democrats. McCarthy did not go in that direction. Kudos to him. And most of all, kudos to Chip Roy for getting concessions out of McCarthy, uh, like 72 hours to check out bills, uh, promises to bring specific legislation to the floor, uh, you know, more open process. And so we'll see. Uh, if McCarthy reneges on that, there's only needs to be one vote to move to vacate the chair, and he's only going to need a few votes to actually kick him out. So, uh Hopefully, this means a stronger conservative voice in the House moving forward. Yeah, and I think that as awkward and difficult and uh, kind of you know ugly infighting as we saw amongst House Republicans, there's nothing that says this has to define the rest of the cycle uh, of how the House of Representatives operates. Um, most of us want to see House Republicans metaphorically turn the guns against the Biden administration. And when you have divided government, the objective is to try to maximize the pressure on the opposition party to say, look, hey, we've got a very popular idea here, whether it's uh, repealing the funding for those 80 some thousand new IRS agents or for border security or for 
uh, U.S. domestic energy production. All of these are popular ideas. Why are you standing in the way of it? And that part of the fight in divided government can't get started until they actually have a House speaker. Uh, most of the people who were involved in this fight seem either, you know, happy with the outcome or maybe just relieved that it's over. Uh, but, you know, generally there's a sense of, okay. I, I also feel like by putting a couple of, of uh, House Freedom Caucus type members on the Rules Committee, they have a bit more uh, in, you know, st at stake in the game. They have some skin in the game, as they say. And, and invest. they now have a role to play in how the House operates, which means they have some responsibility too. And maybe this will, you know, um, temper some of those passions and temper some of that anger because uh, now they feel like they are part of the leadership team and they have a vested interest in making sure the House can pass legislation and maximize the pressure on the Senate and on the Biden administration to do something about it. So, um, you know, glad that it's over. Uh, everybody can kind of move forward on meteor and, you know, consequential actions. We'll see how it shakes out from here. But also, I think it's also very good that everybody in the House can actually get sworn in and no longer have to call themselves representative elects. Yeah, today they're going to vote on the rules package. We've already got one moderate from Texas, Anthony Gonzalez, saying he doesn't think he's going to vote for it. So if he can get four friends to come along with him, boy, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a bumpy ride. But uh, hopefully. Uh, what McCarthy agreed to with Chip Roy does, in fact, uh, take place. And I think Chip Roy's stock rises here. He fought hard for what he believed in, and he was willing to take yes for an answer. And I think um, that, that that's that's a good sign as well. So we will see where it goes from here. But uh, on, to, on to the actual work now uh, in the House of Representatives. Uh, in terms of more good news, hey, if you're struggling with hair growth right now, you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. There's now a way that you can promote healthier hair and whole body wellness, and it's called Nutrafol, the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. That's the only kind of progressive improvement you want is uh, with your health. And Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 3,000 top doctors. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Three Martini Lunch by going to Nutrafol.com men and entering the promo code Martini to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com men. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com men. Promo code Martini. Well, Jim, it's not just Republicans pulling out their hair over fights with each other, as we saw in that intense showdown with uh, McCarthy and Gates and Boebert and Rogers uh, early in the morning on Saturday. The Democrats are at each other's throats, too. Not in the House chamber so much. They stayed unified behind Hakeem Jeffries on all 15 ballots. But Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago and Mayor Eric Adams of New York City are not happy with Democratic Governor of Colorado Jared Polis who is sending illegal immigrants to Chicago and to New York. Now, he's not doing it to make a political statement against the Biden administration like Abbott and DeSantis have done. Instead, he's saying, look, uh, I'm helping to move these people along to their final destination. We got a little bit of a backlog due to some bad weather, but that's where these people want to go, Chicago and New York, so I'm just facilitating that. Lightfoot and uh, Adams are saying cease and desist, and uh, Polis is saying no. So, Jim, uh, this is... Quite the fight here, and it's always more fun, more popcorn to pop when it's uh, got everything to do with the left and, and the, the punches being thrown. 
Well, Greg, I, sh- I should point out that Polis indicated Sunday he was backing down from this, that he recognized oh. that uh, you, you could say, oh, well, I didn't. Re- I've had conversations with the mayors. But uh, just the fact that he was doing this for a couple of days, I think, complicates the narrative of Democrats that when a Greg Abbott does this or a Ron DeSantis was sending them up to uh, Martha's Vineyard or even, you know, Doug Ducey in Arizona, that when they're doing this, they're doing this because they're xenophobes and they hate migrants and they hate immigrants. And, oh, this is also terrible. Um, whereas most of us have pointed out that, like, look, it's not reasonable to expect the border states to be expected to handle all of this, uh, to basically say, oh, no, no, you guys just happen to be closest to where the border is. So you guys have to take care of them. Um, and the rest of the country, you know, the, the problem of illegal immigration is out of sight, out of mind, much like how they cleared the streets of El Paso for President Biden's visit yesterday. Um, in this case, so you know what Jared Polis emphasizes. No, what I'm doing is totally different because these people want to go to Chicago and New York, um, and he's trying to connect them with family members, friends, aid programs in the city, and things like that. Unsurprisingly, Eric Adams and uh, Lori Lightfoot are not convinced by that explanation, and like, well, the, the end result is the same thing. You're still sending more migrants into our cities where we ourselves don't have enough resources to deal with these people. Um, and I, th- you know, after a while, you know, Polis uh, uh, backed down. It was kind of interesting to see Eric Adams fuming. We've had to deal with Republican governors sending migrants to New York. Now we're dealing with Democratic governors sending migrants to New York. So Polis's argument that what he was doing was totally different was uh, not convincing to them. I would, I, I have a piece in today's Washington Post, uh, and I, I kind of point out that, like this should illustrate that this always very simplistic, convenient narrative of. Illegal immigration isn't that bad. And ah, these Republican governors of these border states, they're just so mean. They're just so harsh. They just have no caring for these. There's so freedom of empathy. Well, wait a second. When a quote unquote good Democratic governor like Jared Polis is doing something very different, maybe this isn't done out of malice and xenophobia and such things. Maybe there really is just an unacceptable and certainly unsustainable strain on aid programs for these people. That you can be a decent, kind, and empathetic person and say, look, stop. There is no more room. We are not awash in resources, and it is unfair to expect Texas or Florida or Arizona <clears throat> or Colorado to you know, bear the burden of caring for these people and for other parts of the country to just shrug it off. And I thought it was something, you know, the most revealing moment we've had in this debate was when uh, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser says, well, we're not a border town. We don't have the infrastructure to handle this type of immigration to our city. We're not Texas. As if other communities in the border are just awash in resources. As if they just have tons of of extra space and extra money and extra food and blankets and clothes and all the things that migrants need to be taken care of. Um, Look, hopefully this and Biden's long-delayed and honestly not all that productive photo op visit to the border will prompt him to recognize if i've got democrats fighting with other democrats this isn't just right-wing propaganda this is a real genuine problem and it's time for us to reach a deal on capitol hill including additional border security yeah you'd think when the biggest cities in the country uh like new york and chicago can't handle the influx and it's only a small percentage of the influx coming at the border the smart intelligent common sense position would be wow if this is this hard for us, it's got to be hard for everybody. So maybe we ought to do something about it. Instead, they just assume, like you said, that Texas and Arizona and I guess New Mexico and California can just, you know, they just got all this stuff ready to go and they can handle it without any trouble whatsoever. It's just uh, utterly uh, politically uh, frustrating on their part to do that. And hopefully uh, somewhere along the line, we can we can make some progress on this. But 
Biden's uh, sanitized visit isn't going to get it done, uh, and neither is uh, this uh, sniping from Lightfoot and Adams. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And, uh, you know, 2023 just began, but of course, the 2024 cycle is beginning. We're seeing people make decisions on Senate races and gubernatorial races. And uh, we've got uh, presidential candidates certainly highly speculated to be moving forward. President Biden, as a result of uh, the Democrats doing better than expected in the midterms, appears to be getting a cakewalk to the nomination. We'll see if that ends up being the case or not. But nonetheless, uh, he is uh, planning to run for re-election. And according to Josh Kroshauer over at Axios, his plan is to run as a moderate in 2024, which I thought was also the strategy in 2020. Uh, you know, uh, we can't have Bernie. we got to have somebody who's reasonable, like Joe Biden. And then, of course, as soon as he got elected, all he did was pander to the progressive wing of the party. But Kroshauer writes this, his early 23 moves... Sunday's visit to the U.S.-Mexico border and his appearance with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to promote the infrastructure law gave a crystal clear contrast with the GOP's chaotic speaker fight. Why it matters. Voters sent a clear message in the midterms that they value bipartisanship, rejecting extreme candidates. Republicans accommodated the far right with often disastrous results. Biden began his administration pandering to progressives, but he ended 22 with his party cutting deals with some Republicans on small-scale gun regulations and a big infrastructure package. And so, Jim, I, you, first of all, you can quibble with you know whether those were um, you know good bipartisan things to do. I would argue that in most cases they were not. But in terms of the general public thinking Joe Biden is going to be a moderate after everything he tried to push down our throats, and in some cases succeeded over the past two years, including wanting a five trillion dollar bill that Joe Manchin finally uh, you know haggled down to about what was it? Five or six hundred billion. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to buy it, but uh, there's very short memories in politics. So if he actually sticks with it, he might get away with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about Bill Clinton's run for re-election in 1996. That you know, indisputably, uh, for the first two years of his presidency, Bill Clinton governed way too far to the left uh, for the country, and that led to the Republican Revolution of 1994. But he, you know, started chatting with Dick Morris before the <clears throat> infamous. Uh, foot incidents. Um, and he just started saying, okay, I'm going to, I need to, you know, tack to the middle. I'm going to tack to the center. Um, and perhaps most notably, you know, I, I think if you really want to redefine your image, you need some sort of big defining act to do that. I think Bill Clinton signing welfare reform was a big clear beacon of, hey, I'm not your traditional uh, liberal Democrat, at least not, in, at least not at this moment. I don't know if Biden will have that opportunity. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's likely to happen. But if that really is the philosophy at work here, then at least we will prefer the Biden of 2023 and 2024 to the Biden of 2021 and 2022. You almost wonder if Biden would prefer to have, you know, not Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think this I think this race has enough octogenarians as it is. But somebody almost like an AOC type to be a, a tomato can, as they say in boxing, to be somebody who's a symbolic foe to defeat in the primary, but who isn't strong enough to actually defeat uh, Joe Biden for uh, re-election. Let's keep in mind, Biden will be 81 going on 82 for much of that uh, election process. So, yeah, you really don't want to set up anything too strong for him. Um, I have my doubts about whether this is going to work. I think this has been too, too visible, too memorable. Inflation, the border... Uh, the shortages, the rollout, COVID mandate, vaccine mandates, uh, you know, not being able to find tests, the failures of the Biden administration, not just not just going to disappear. 
On the other hand, they were not a big issue in the midterms the way Republicans had expected or hoped. And, you know, when the judging by the exit polls, people who were showing up to vote were not happy about the state of the economy. We're not optimistic about the future of the country. We're not approving of Joe Biden all that much. They just didn't like what Republicans were offering. And it was too much of a, you know, circus style freak show. To me, the lessons for 2024 are very clear from this. It'll be an interesting question of whether Republicans, you know, absorb those lessons or want to learn those lessons. But uh, I, the idea that Joe Biden is going to be able to reinvent himself as some sort of sensible, moderate centrist, I'm very skeptical of this unless the Republican nominee is someone who can easily be painted as some sort of extremist, making Joe Biden look like the, you know, sane choice by comparison. That's a, you know, saner than Joe Biden really ought to be a low bar to clear, Greg. But, you know. Stranger things have happened, I suppose. Yeah, we'll see who the the nominee is. If it's DeSantis, uh, you know, who I think brings less baggage than Trump, obviously. Um, comparing that to Clinton versus Dole, I think uh, DeSantis is going to be a much tougher opponent <laughs> as opposed to Clinton versus Dole. With all due respect to Bob Dole, uh, and even he kept uh, Bill Clinton under 50 percent with a little bit of help from Ross Perot, who wasn't nearly the factor that he was four years earlier. But uh, if DeSantis is out there, uh, especially on two or three debates, if they even have debates, uh, pointing out the inconsistencies, the hypocrisy and the outright lies of the of the Biden administration, it's going to be a long 90 minutes for Joe Biden because Ron DeSantis is very good and very disciplined when, in that format. So we will see. But there's a long way to go. We don't know if DeSantis will be the nominee. We don't know who all is getting in. And uh, we will see. But Joe Biden trying to pretend the first two years of his administration didn't happen. I don't think that's going to work too well. But we'll see. On that note, Jim, happy Monday. We'll see what uh, good news and craziness uh, awaits us tomorrow. See you then. I was going to say, two good martinis to start the week. It's going to be an awesome week, Greg. Can't wait. (laughs) Nothing can derail us now. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday, and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.